other than Dungeons and Dragons, what other great games should we consider playing? What's really stood out over the past 35 years of role-playing history? Welcome back, Rescuers. I'm your host, Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue, the show about getting you back to the table as a role player. This is Season 2, Episode 6. Today, I want to try something a little bit risky. I want to talk to you about some favourite games that I've experienced and played over the past 35 years. I know that I took a half-hour stab at this back in episode one, discussing Palladium Fantasy in under two minutes, but frankly, you can't discuss the significance of a game in so short a time. One or two of the games I want to talk about today will be familiar, and then there are a couple that are going to come straight from the fringes of the hobby. But there's a lot to be said for trying out games outside the mainstream. I hope you'll give this a listen. I started role-playing way back in the early 1980s when Dungeons & Dragons was the fastest growing game and before Apple created their first Macintosh computer. Over the years I've bought and read, even sometimes played, literally hundreds of role-playing game titles. My story of gaming extends over very many cool game systems and I want to talk about the highlights and the strengths of a few of those games. I began with the simplicity of games like RuneQuest 2nd Edition, games like Basic Dungeons & Dragons, Classic Traveller and Star Frontiers. Over the years I gravitated, as I think was fashionable in the 1980s, towards more detailed and arguably complex gaming systems such as Rollmaster, Palladium Fantasy Roleplay and the Hero System. I missed out on a great many very good games until my return to active gaming in 1998 after almost 10 years out in the wilderness, following university and getting my career off the ground. Honestly, I never stopped reading and collecting games, but I had far fewer pounds sterling to spend. I was late to the party for games like White Wolf's Vampire, for example. Today, I want to look back over my own hobby and suggest just games that have proven truly worthy of attention. One or two of them are simply relics of forgotten past, but it doesn't stop them from being cracking games. For most of my gaming life, I believe that Traveller was the first science fiction role-playing game. It's not. I think that honour goes to Metamorphosis Alpha in 1976. Traveller came in 1977. History aside, it was possibly the second RPG that I played. My friend Daniel had it first, I think, at least in my memory, and we played it a lot in those halcyon days at secondary school in the early 1980s. Traveller, usually referred to as classic Traveller these days, was published as a box set with three little black books. There was a book on characters and combat, another on starships, and a third on worlds and adventures. It broke new ground, I think, not just because it was a science fiction game, but also due to its innovation with characters. Traveller didn't have character classes, and your character was defined by skills. Of course, for little me who'd already played RuneQuest, these were not big innovations. In fact, in my memory, 
class-based D&D felt very restrictive when it did finally arrive at our gaming table. We enjoyed D&D, but personally, I found the class-based system initially a little jarring. That was caused by my experience of both RuneQuest and Traveller. What Traveller introduced to me was the idea of a referee design sequences. In other words, the referee, what you might term the game master today, had some mini-games that could be used to drive the creation of the game. The player mini-game character creation is the most famous, but I personally got a lot more fun and entertainment from using the other tools in the box. Memorable favourites include creating star systems using the World and Adventures book, or designing starships using the Starships book, and creating alien animals as challengers as well. One important thing to remember is that, at this time, I wasn't running games as a referee. I was very much a player, yet, as an introverted loner, I would lock myself away for many hours in my bedroom and roll up characters, or design worlds, create starships, and design creatures all by myself. I think that Traveller helped me to take the first creative steps in becoming a game master. Without those design sequences, the creative task would have seemed overwhelming to me. Oddly, when the supplements started coming out, I didn't initially collect them. I think we had a copy of Mercenary in the group. I remember Daniel getting Highguard and the Scouts booklet later on. Beyond that, I am really not sure we used them. Now that I own them all, I have to remind myself that I didn't start collecting classic Traveller supplements until well into the late 1990s, right about the time I started playing and running games here in Nottingham. But we never really played Traveller. Science fiction came in the form of a different game that I'll talk about in a while. Traveller uses 2d6 to resolve most actions. The dice were used most commonly to resolve a saving throw or throw, the most famous of which is the eight or more combat throw. Looking at it with modern eyes, there is no universal mechanic per se. Different areas of the rules use different types of die roll, but of course, The use of just six-sided dice and the training exercise that is basically character creation taught me that you could have a pretty slick gaming experience with just 2d6. The Modern Traveller, published by Mongoose Publishing, has introduced that universal 2d6 gaming mechanic and smoothed over a lot of unclear original design. These days, I'd be pretty likely to deploy the Modern Traveller over the classic books at the table, simply because it's probably easier. There are a lot of warm memories associated with Traveller as a game. In the late 1990s, however, I began to discover the Traveller setting. Originally, there was no official Traveller universe because the designers assumed you'd make up your own. That's what those design sequences were for. Over time, however, and due to demand, the Games Designer Workshop began to publish stuff based on what I must presume was their home campaign. I discovered the richness of this setting, now known as the Imperium of Man, when I began to really collect the fourth edition of Traveller, sometime in the late 1990s. I think T4 was released in 1996, so it seems likely that I picked up the rules around 98. I remember buying it from Travelling Man in Nottingham, and that shop closed down decades ago. The Imperium of Man influences me like no other science fiction setting. I actually prefer the T4 material set at the birth of the Third Imperium to all the stuff that was written earlier but actually set much later in history. 
I am also controversially a fan of the Mega Traveller virus stuff and the much later 1248 Out of the Darkness setting published by Avenger Games and Comstar in 2006. I love the universe in which it turns out that humans evolved in three different places, transported away from Earth by an alien intelligence who abducted our ancestors. My favourite moment was reading about the first contact between the Terrans and the Villani Imperium at Barnard Star. It always tickled me to imagine humans meeting an alien race for the first time to discover that, in fact, they are also humans. So yeah, Traveller influenced me greatly. Just talking about it now makes me ache to play with it. It's such a rich game and there is the opportunity to experience one of the richest settings in science fiction gaming. Or not. To simply use the game as it was originally intended. As a spur to create your own universe. Well, that's just valid as well. While it might be tempting to recommend you download and read the Classic Traveller game, I would instead point you at another option, Cepheus. Cepheus system is a retro claim based on the 2D6 system of Traveller. It's open gaming license and has spawned many derivatives. If you fancy the Classic Traveller feeling, consider downloading Cepheus Lite. It's either free or pay what you want on drive through RPG and, frankly, brings over that unified 2D6 mechanic I mentioned Traveller needing, while keeping very much the tone of the original. Failing that, of course, you can wang out £30 and buy yourself Mongoose's own licensed Traveller game. But honestly, Cepheus is cheaper. It's free. They call it Rollmaster Classic these days, but back in the 1980s it was just Rollmaster. When I joined the Nottingham RPG Club in 1998, my then new friend Ian referred to it as Chartmaster because of the combat chats used to resolve attacks, but back in the day I never thought of it that way. It was simply Rollmaster. As a fantasy RPG, Rollmaster was a step deep into the more realistic territory that I saw back in the 1980s. I think alongside Palladium Fantasy Roleplay, Rollmaster moved me deeper into detail. It has multiple skills, a percentile die rolling system, a different combat chart for each type of weapon, and a very innovative system for magic spells. This was the game we played for 24 hours and used to delve all of Moria, this was the game that spawned my most famous and best-remembered character, Goriel Swiftfoot, the halfling who slayed the Balrog. Of course, Rollmaster wasn't really designed as a coherent system at first. I believe it began life as a supplement for other fantasy games, such as D&D. I remember using Arms and Claw Law long before we got Character Law, Spell Law and Campaign Law, the titles of the core rulebooks. Nowadays, you can buy Rollmaster Classic from Iron Crown Enterprises and discover the rich and exciting game, almost as it was back in the day. And it holds up pretty well. One of my first online games on Roll20 was played using this edition of Rollmaster. It was a fun game and I enjoyed it. In fact, I went on to recollect all of the titles for not only Classic Rollmaster, but also all the other editions. As it stands, I have a copy of every book that was published, and most of them in paper too. It's a game I will never part with, even if it seems unlikely that I'll ever play it again. How did Rollmaster influence me? I think that it drew me 
deeper into D100 gaming, a throwback perhaps to my RuneQuest beginnings, but it showed me that you could develop a very rich gaming experience through detailed characterization. I loved the combat system, allowing for critical hits and descriptive critical effects. Most of all, and perhaps oddly, Rollmaster drew me towards a lower fantasy flavour of magic. Rollmaster's spell law organises magic spells into spell lists, each with a particular theme or flavour. The idea is that a wizard would master the simpler spells at low level, and then master greater magic that builds on those simpler spells. For example, I seem to recall that the fire law spell list starts with conjuring flames long before you can fling firebolts and, even later, fireballs. This approach is what warms me to games like GURPS, which have a similarly logical progression of spell learning. It's like the authors of Rollmaster took magic seriously and tried to work out a reasoned collection of powers. It's a far cry from the mixed bag of spells in Dungeons & Dragons. One side effect of Rollmaster's more down-to-earth and logical approach to magic, also encountered in the herbs and the magic items, was that it, I was drawn to a more low-magical feel in my gaming. I don't really enjoy the super-heroic flavourings of modern D&D, for example, largely because I don't see fantasy adventurers as heroic. For me, D&D was originally about the acquisition of power and wealth, Rollmaster took up that idea and grounded it in a less abstract, more scientific and rooted set of mechanics. The result, at least in my mind, was drawing into fantasy realms in in which dragons were seriously scary because adventurers really could barely match them. It's a theme that has remained with me until today. I know that there are a lot of people who will just roll their eyes when I talk about Rollmaster. But, you know, it's a good game. And it's spelled R-O-L-E, by the way, despite its reputation for being Chartmaster. Role, as in the part you play, the character you take on. And I felt always that Rollmaster helped me to immerse myself into a character in a way that other games just simply didn't help me do. In 1998, just as I was returning to the game table and becoming a game master in earnest, TSR released the game that had the greatest impact on me in the last 20 years. Alternity. It was a short-lived game because in 2000, when Wizards of the Coast acquired TSR, Alternity was canned. I own everything ever published, and even a few things that were never officially released, It is, by far, my favourite science fiction RPG. Looking back on Alternity, I think I see the seeds of the D20 system that Wizards developed and released in 2000 with Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition. Alternity uses a D20 core mechanic, but links it to the use of a second die, a difficulty die if you like, that modifies the roll up or down. For example, A one-step bonus adds a d4 to your roll. Because Alternity is a roll-low system, that d4 bonus subtracts from the score on the d20 die. Simple. I think the inversion of the d20 mechanic in the d20 system, making that the game a a roll-high engine, I think it saw its precursor in Alternity. 
But of course, I wasn't there and I could be very wrong. Two innovations from Alternity stand out in my mind. The first was the idea of having three target numbers. An ordinary success, a good success and an amazing success. For example, if my pistol skill score was 9, I would score an ordinary success on 9 or less, a good success on 4 or less, and an amazing success on 2 or less. What I particularly loved was that the pistol hit scored more damage on a good or amazing success. This system extended to the initiative role called an action check and allowed for phased actions in the combat round. All of that added up to a very dynamic game system. The second big innovation that sticks with me was the durability tracks. You have a stun track, a wound track and a mortal wound track. Stun damage rolls into becoming wounds damage if you take too much and so on into mortal damage. But you can also suffer straight up wound or mortal damage depending on the weapon used. Thus. For the first time in my gaming experience, I could easily differentiate between punching damage, pistol damage, and big howitzer damage. And damage was more severe based on whether it was from an ordinary good or amazing hit. Loved it. But there is so much more I could say about Alternative's game systems. But, but I don't want to bore you. It's such a shame that it's totally unavailable as far as I know unless the alternatyrpg.net website still has the freebie download section, I don't know. But it wasn't just the system. Alternity has given me two of the best science fiction settings out there. Star Drive, the rather good space opera setting, and the amazing, truly amazing Dark Matter modern horror conspiracy setting. Dark Matter fueled my game mastering in 1999 through to 2000 and I still refer to Dark Matter as the best conspiracy horror setting to this day. And the rehashed D20 versions released for D20 Modern, they are not a patch on the originals. If you want a fun science fiction game, you can do far worse than Alternity. Last year, the original authors of that game released Alternity 2017, a modernised revisitation to the classic mechanics, and it's pretty good too. If you've not picked it up, it's well worth a look but I will still stand by the original alternative. It's a classic. I'm a latecomer to my next system, despite having bought and played the original edition of it, but I am becoming a big fan. Savage Worlds. Fast, furious, fun. The mantra of Savage Worlds. Oddly, speaking as an X-Games Workshop employee, it was also the store mantra of the shop manager back in the 1990s, long before Savage Worlds was published. We used to talk about Warhammer and 40k games needing to be played that way. Fast, furious, fun. Anyway, Savage Worlds. It uses a die to rate your attributes, of which there are just five. Agility, smarts, spirit, strength and vigour. Actually, a die rates your skills too. To make a test, you roll the trait's die plus a special d6 called the wild die and you pick the best roll. The goal is to score four or more. Characters get a few derived stats, some cool abilities called edges, and the option to trade taking some hindrances for upping some other traits, maybe buying more edges, 
everything else in the game is pretty simple. The new edition, just about to hit the shelves, is called the Adventure Edition. It's absorbed a few tricks from the so-called story game scene, but at heart, Savage Worlds is a pretty neat step back into the tabletop roots of D&D. What I particularly love about it is that it supports, nay, encourages, the use of loads of NPC extras to support the actions of the heroes. Thus, in a recent World War II meets Cthulhu scenario, I was able to field a dozen or more enemy soldiers against just three player characters. In fact, you could run games with 50 or more NPCs on the table in a combat with relative ease. For me, the real charm of Savage Worlds is the high-octane, heroic and action film feeling you get when you roll those dice. How has it influenced me? Well, Savage Worlds has encouraged me to play with those high-powered characters that I usually despise. Because the system is so light and easy to run, if you want to have a cool evening's gaming with the cinematic feel, Savage Worlds is just the trick. Savage Worlds is, for me, the one-shot king. It's also slick and quick, with a playing card system for initiative that I really like, for example, and a really easy-to-prep approach. Plus, and this is important for those of us returning to the hobby, there are several dozen free-to-download one-shot adventures right there on the Pinnacle Entertainment website. Yes, free one-shots are Savage Worlds' speciality. Not to mention that there are loads of cool settings and licensee worlds to adventure within. You're going to be spoiled for choice. Savage Worlds is a rich vein of quick-playing but deeply inspiring creativity. You should go check it out, just as long as you like your gaming cinematic and high-octane. This is not the game for the low-fantasy realism that I tended to encourage at my own gaming table over the years. Remember, Savage Worlds is fast, furious and fun. The Mithras fantasy role-playing game published by The Design Mechanism and specifically when you add the classic fantasy supplement to it. Mithras certainly seems to be the closest I have ever come to finding the ideal fantasy role-playing experience. Remember, I'm a child of Gary Gygax, Steve Perrin and David Hargrave. Those are the fathers of my gaming hobby. Gygax, the creator of it all. Perrin, the master of D100 gaming. And Hargrave, the mad inspiration of my more recent fantasy worlds. To me, the levels and classes of Dungeons & Dragons sit at the foundation of a style of fantasy role-playing that has proven timeless. If the modern old-school renaissance is anything to go by, the hex-crawl and dungeon focus of the original role-playing game has never gone away. Although I have been seduced by storytelling games and other styles of play, at heart, I discovered that Gygax's style suits me best. That said, I sometimes find classic Dungeons & Dragons to be more of a game than it's sometimes comfortable. As I've said to folk before, the prime example of this is the red box rule as written on opening locked doors. If you've not got a thief or a magic user with a knock spell, you can't open a locked door in that game. It's always jarred with me. It's a good thing that very few dungeon masters would ever use the rules as written. It strikes me as odd that, as I sit here today, I am very much in the Gygaxian fold as I prep a campaign deploying the Castles and Crusades rules, 
a clear development of the classic AD&D rules Gygax wrote. I suppose ironing out those kinds of gamey problems has helped me feel comfortable once again with the classic style. But at heart, Perrin's RuneQuest always seems superior. I still love the elegant, intuitive D100 mechanic and the way with which your characteristics influenced your ability with, to extend the example, the manipulation skill. In that game, anyone could, in theory, learn any skill and even many spells. It was a less restricted vision of fantasy gaming that, right from the beginning, inspired dreams and the desire to play games. When I discovered RuneQuest 6th edition in early 2013, it was like coming home. RuneQuest 6th edition is what has become today Mithras. By the way, coming home to RuneQuest coincided with the discovery of David Hargrave's Arduin in March 2013. As I wrote at the time, I'd never heard of him, but came across his work from another blog post and bought Arduin Eternal. Eventually, having enjoyed that work, I ordered copies of his original works, the Arduin Trilogy. That discovery opened my mind and my heart to the possibilities inherent in all fantasy gaming. His brand of, for want of a better word, gonzo all-in fantastic dreaming, inspired me to revisit the idea of my own fantasy world. Hargrave taught me not to be afraid to challenge the assumptions of a classic original game, but also to grasp onto that which I loved most from my early hobby – In short, I began to heed his advice and took a troll to lunch. I think that ultimately Hargrave has proven the antidote to my periodic swing towards historical fantasy. But I digress. When I first read about the forthcoming classic fantasy supplement for RuneQuest VI, it was on the back of the news that Chaosium and the design mechanism were parting ways. Until that moment, I had begun to believe that RuneQuest VI would fall away into obscurity as so many games have done in the past, and I bought up pretty much the whole back catalogue. I had been trying to write my own RPG design, desperately seeking to marry what I loved in D100 gaming to the Gygax Hargrave vision of the class and level based gaming. Classic fantasy, as a concept, made my heart stand still with anticipation. Here was a supplement billed as Dungeoneering Adventures D100 style, Looking at the free preview pages, it looked like just what I was hoping to find. When it arrived, I discovered that the author, Rodney Leary, did not disappoint. Mithras is a very clean and more experienced inheritor of all that is great about classic RuneQuest, married to much improved combat and magical systems. In and of itself, the Mithras game is a very good one. What classic fantasy does is help aficionados of Gygaxian tropes use Mithras to emulate that old tradition too. When you consider that Hargrave also ended up with a D100 based system for his own Arduin bloody Arduin, there is a great resonance for fans of the 1970s and 1980s role playing experience. Here is a game in which you can play any of the Gygaxian character classes from Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition through to the approximate equivalent of 14th level. You can play that fighter, thief, magic user or whatever, but you also do it using the elegant D100 game system of classic RuneQuest Vintage. Mithras gives you combat with armour that makes sense and heroes who don't amass more hit points than a dragon. It's worth telling you of how the game makes combat exciting by adding opposed roles to hit versus a parry or evade and generates very cool special effects. 
You can choose where the blow lands, try to disarm your opponent, or simply aim to increase the damage inflicted. There are hit locations to strike and cool manoeuvres to try. It's a very rich system. And that's without mentioning the four magic systems built right into the core rulebook. Folk magic, very much the battle magic of RuneQuest updated and improved, alongside mysticism, sorcery and theism. If you get classic fantasy as a supplement, you also get Rod's excellent adaptation of D&D, arcane and divine magic running in a D100 engine. That's done using the familiar magic points that Perrin created and of which Hargrave would have approved while giving magic users and clerics alike the kind of oomph that I missed when revisiting Redbox D&D a couple of months before I discovered Mithras. In short, you really get the right feeling when you create a magic user or a cleric. You can do the specialism thing as well, which is very cool. Playing a game of Mithras Classic Fantasy does beautifully marry the original style of Gygax with the innovative design of Perrin. It allows space for the gonzo explorations of folk like David Hargrave, who wanted it he wanted to let players run characters who were trolls or witch hunters. It comes with a lovely default campaign world, Greymore, but it leaves space for you to create your own hex crawl or more plotted campaign world, whatever floats your boat really. Some have criticised the brevity of the 336-page classic fantasy supplement, claiming that limiting initial play to the first three ranks is a problem. To that I say pish. That's the equivalent of 14 levels of old D&D, which was more than enough for most campaigns back in the day. The eventual expansion with the Unearthed Companion will take things all the way to rank 5, which is 20th level and beyond in old money. Patience. I want to play classic fantasy more. Of Mithras as a core game without classic fantasy, it is a very good game. There are now supplements to emulate science fiction, superheroes, and even characters within a vampire-infested near future. It's a very rich system. I personally love the range of supplements on a more historical bent too, such as Mythic Britain and Mythic Constantinople. If a Mithras supplement is being released, you can bet I'll buy it there and then. They are all awesome. So well written. Just check out Monster Island if you don't believe me. You can get the basic rules for Mithras for free from the Design Mechanism website or Drive Through RPG. It's called Mithras Imperative. It's all you need to play. You can even use Classic Fantasy alongside Mithras Imperative if you don't want to wang out for the full rulebook. Seriously, Mithras is my favourite RPG. The only reason I don't run it more is because my players seem to turn up to play other games. So there you have it, my fifth recommendation of games to check out, Mithras. This podcast is aimed squarely at the ex-gamer who wants to find a route back to the gaming table. I need you to help me to get it to the right ears. If you're an ex-gamer trying to find a way back, I really hope that I'm helping you to see the possibilities. But I need a favour. Can you help recommend Roleplay Rescue to your friends? I don't really know what that might look like, to be honest. Perhaps in casual conversation about gaming, while you're asking around for a table to play at, you might mention that you got thinking about it because of Roleplay Rescue. Or, if you know someone who's a lost gamer, you could ask them if they've heard the show. I don't know. Basically, 
is like this. We need to get the show to the ears of the lost ex-gamers. I know many of my listeners are committed gamers and some are podcasters in their own right. Would it be okay to shoot someone a link to your favourite episode of Roleplay Rescue? I guess I am cap in hand asking for you guys to help me widen the reach. I need your help to call those people back to the table. Wouldn't that mean more players for everyone to enjoy gaming with? I hope you don't mind me asking. Thanks for your support and for putting up with my ruffling request. I wanted to try something a little bit risky and talk to you about some of my favourite role-playing games from the past 35 years or so. Traveller, Rollmaster, Alternity, Savage Worlds and Mithras. I hope you found something interesting in there and perhaps, having listened to my mad rantings, you've even been tempted to check out one or two of them. What are your favourite games? I'd love to hear from you and also find out all the reasons you disagree with my choices. I'd like to think that we're exploring the hobby together and we both have space for alternative ideas about what makes for good gaming. Let me know your thoughts. Hey, Jay Dodolo here. I just posted it. It's about 5 o'clock my time, about 10, I guess, your time. Great interview, man. Thanks again. I really appreciate you taking all that time to do this. This was really, really fun, interesting. And I learned some shit, you know, and made me, it made me, like, think about stuff I'm still thinking about from our conversation. So it's like the best kind of conversation. I look forward to doing it again, maybe someday, like you say. Maybe just part one, you know, maybe someday we'll do part two. Uh, that was way cool of you, though. I, I totally appreciate that, man. Thank you. Take care. Have a great day. Joe the Lawyer there from his Not So Wondrous Imaginings podcast. Joe, thanks. For those who don't know, I went on Joe's show and did a sidebar with him uh, just last weekend. And um, yeah, I don't know. A few people I noticed were commenting on how rambly it was. And I guess, yeah, I can ramble. Uh, But actually, I really enjoyed doing it too, Joe. It was really good. Thanks for so much for having me on. It is an absolute honor to be um, on your show. Uh, So... Yeah, glad you learned something from it. Glad you got something from it. I hope others did too. And um, if you haven't caught out Joe's podcast, you know, go and check it out. Uh, just you know, remember to skip the episode where I'm being interviewed. Cheers, Joe. Hello, Mr. Webster. This is Matt, a.k.a. Babbage Clear Logic, on the Asshat Paladins blog and RPG.net. I heard about your podcast from Judd Carlman of the Daydreaming About Dragons podcast. I've been listening to Judd since the Old Sons of Cryos podcast. I listened to your solo gaming episode and have another resource for you. It's RPGsolo.com. The main website has links to three areas. Play exclamation point, form exclamation point, and examples exclamation point. The two are, the latter two are self-explanatory. The play exclamation point option is a tabletop GM emulator that allows you to add text, roll dice, and get random situations all at the press of a button. And you can save the results via print to your preferred output, be that text or PDF or printer. As a guest, you're limited to a set of options, but if you join the community, play exclamation point gives you more options. So give RPGSolo.com a try. Hey Matt, thanks for the call in, and also a big thanks to um, Judd for like pointing in the right direction. Great website. Uh, I've just been kind of like fiddling around actually. Um, RPGSolo.com. I think I have actually come across this once in the past, and I'll be honest with you, there's a kind of a, a thing where it's like if you want to use this to make donations, and it mentioned Bitcoin, and usually when I see Bitcoin mentioned, I just kind of like click away and get worried. Um, I don't know why. 
Okay, but anyway, yeah, thanks for the recommendation because it, it kind of looks interesting. Uh, I think for me, I mean, I'm really intrigued by that idea of the play exclamation mark bit. <laughs> um, if it can kind of help me record my games and then output that as text, I'm interested. So big one. Thank you. Um, yeah, I hope you're enjoying the show too. But uh, thanks so much for calling in. And, you know, yeah, great. Everybody, rpgsolo.com. Um, worth a check, yeah? Do it. I hope you are enjoying Roleplay Rescue. If you ever want to get in touch, ask questions or share your point of view, you can leave me a voice message. You can also drop comments onto the Roleplay Rescue page on Facebook and the even more popular page on MeWe. Just search for Roleplay Rescue on those social media platforms and you can follow the pages with an easy click. You can even email me via hello at rpgrescue.com. I'm Che Webster. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next weekend with another episode of Roleplay Rescue. Game on.